0: Please turn in your Bible to Colossians, chapter 3, and this morning we are going to look particularly at chapter 3, verse 16. Now, uh, confession up front, we were meant to be looking at verses 15 to 17, but, but as, I, as I dove into it this week, there's just so much in verse 16 um, that I really want to focus all our time there. So um, if you'd like homework, you could go away and look, look more intently at uh, 15 and 17. But verse 16, I think, is, is something that we can... Um, uh, really draw on the riches of together this morning. So, let me read from verse 15. We'll read 15 to 17, and you'll see our main verse right there in the middle. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were in you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Uh, the title I've given to this morning's message is Letting the Word Dwell in Us Richly. Letting the Word Dwell in Us Richly. <clears throat> uh, I wonder, have you ever had a house guest? Someone come to stay with you who made a massive difference to your home. Perhaps it was uh, one of your parents come to help with a newborn. Maybe it was a friend come to catch up with you after long years apart. Maybe it was a relative come to help you redecorate. Or perhaps a, a Christian stranger coming to town who you offered hospitality to. And their love for the Lord just really left its mark on you. I've got this uncle who was incredibly skilled in all manner of DIY, and when Lizzie and I first moved into our home many years ago, I remember him visiting on a couple of occasions, and he would just blitz through a whole bunch of DIY tasks that had been hanging over me. Uh, I'd been dreading them for months and months. There are certain people, when we welcome them into our homes and our lives, who just make a world of difference. And throughout this letter so far, Paul has been reminding the Colossians of the vast world of difference that Christ has already made to their lives. That in Christ they've been given this vast treasure house of spiritual riches. That in Christ all the fullness of God dwells. That in him they have received fullness of help and hope and forgiveness and life and so much more. And and recently here in chapter 3, we've seen him beginning to lay out in detail what their new life in Christ is for and meant to look like. That they themselves are now like this grand designs restoration project, still in progress as God works in them day by day to renew their knowledge of him and renew his image in them. He's told them, we've seen the last couple of weeks, that they and we have a part to play in this in putting to death our old earthly habits and putting on new Christ-like ones. Uh, And he's going to carry on doing that and talking about that all through chapter 3 and 4, getting on to addressing particularly our relationships with one another. So Pete next week is going to come and speak to us, particularly about um, uh, marriage and parents, and then we'll get on to what Paul has to say about slaves and masters, and then more follows that as well. But here this morning, right in the midst of it all, in verse 16, he turns our attention to a very special house guest who is in many ways the chief helper in this daily ongoing transformation inside us. One who they, the Colossians, and we need to roll out the red carpet for and welcome as a permanent resident in our lives. They must, we must, let, Paul says, the word of Christ dwell in us richly, both in our own lives and in our life together as a church. So I've got two headings this morning. I think Paul speaks to this in two ways. First of all, we're going to see him talk about the word dwelling richly in our lives, in our individual lives as Christians. And then we'll see how the word is to dwell richly in our church life together. So first of all, the word dwelling richly in our lives. Well, before we get to perhaps the heart of it, the dwelling richly bit, uh, let me just ask a couple of important questions and answer them as well. What is the Word of Christ and who is it meant to dwell in? Firstly, what is the Word of Christ? Is this actually Paul's special recommendation for one of those red letter editions of the Bibles? You know those ones where all of Jesus' spoken words are marked in red for us? Is this the endorsement to quote on the back cover the Apostle Paul, I love this red letter edition because it especially helps the word of Christ to dwell in me richly. Well, no, that's not what Paul means here. He's not just talking about, about Jesus' actual spoken words. The word of Christ is actually Paul's way of summing up the complete message about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's what he described in chapter 1 verse 5 as the word of the truth, The gospel. So it's the message of the apostles and the prophets. It's the message of the whole Bible, the good news, the complete word of God. It's a reminder that everything in this book is ultimately about Jesus. This is the word of Christ. That's what Paul means here when he talks about the word of Christ. The second question is, who is it meant to dwell in richly? And the clear answer here is every believer So it's not just pastors or home group leaders or those who are well-educated or those who happen to enjoy reading. The Word of God is meant to dwell richly in every single believer. And this is so important for us to realize because uh, down the ages of church history, there have been times when there's been great resistance to having God's Word be accessible to ordinary people. So for example, in the build-up to the Reformation about 500 years ago, Many priests and officials in the Roman Catholic Church didn't want the word richly dwelling in all believers. They were worried that if the people knew what was in God's word, they would lose their authority as leaders. So opposed to it were they that when William Tyndale, great hero of the Christian faith, when when William Tyndale first translated the New Testament into English, they banned his translation, they condemned him as a heretic, and they forced him into hiding. All because Tyndale believed that the Word of God was meant for every person. Every believer should be allowed to read it and have it dwell in them richly. And so firm was Tyndale's conviction on this that he, he once famously promised a Roman Catholic clergyman uh, just 10 miles down the road here, actually from, from here actually in Old Sodbury. Uh, sorry, Little Sodbury. He promised him, If God spare my life, ere many years I will cause a boy who drives a plough... To know more of the scriptures than you do. Tyndale wanted everyone to know God's word for themselves and to know it very well. He was a man after the Apostle Paul's own heart because, as Paul tells us here, the word of Christ should dwell richly in every believer. Now, I say all that up front because we live in an age and in a culture where we have an abundant access to God's word. In our own native language, many of us have multiple Bibles in our homes, thanks in large part to courageous people like Tyndale. And yet more than ever, we can find ourselves struggling to have the Word of God dwelling in us richly. It's fair to say that many Christians today are more biblically illiterate than ever before in church history. Uh, Whether that's because of the whole multitude of distractions that surround us, Or because we worry that maybe we're not qualified or knowledgeable enough to really know and understand God's word for ourselves. Perhaps we're put off by supposed experts who tell us that there are so many ways now to interpret the Bible's teaching that it would be arrogant to think that you and I could just sit down and read it and understand it. And yet in the face of all those objections, Paul's words and his audience here could not be clearer or plainer. He's calling out to every single Christian, man or woman, boy or girl, even if your career is no more intellectual than driving a plow, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the what and the who. The next big question is how. This is the big one. How can the Word of Christ dwell in each and every one of us richly? How does this look in practice? Well, the picture that Paul paints here is of a home, of God's Word entering into our hearts and lives and making itself at home. I've already talked about the effect of, of um, the right kind of temporary houseguest and the, and the effect they can have on our homes. But that's nothing compared to someone moving in permanently and making our home their home. While a temporary guest might make themselves a cup of tea, they might move a few things around, and uh, maybe if you're very particular, as soon as they've gone, you put everything back, and you hoover, and you make it look like they've never been there. A person really begins to leave their mark when you invite them in permanently to live with you. Then they really do rearrange the furniture. They redecorate according to their own tastes, and bit by bit, they change your home to suit their plans. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to let the Word of Christ do in our lives. To not just have it round for a coffee and a chat every once in a while, but to let it fully in to live with us. He wants us to roll out the red carpet for God's Word. To hand it the keys and the deeds to our hearts. To have the Bible make and furnish a permanent dwelling place for itself in our lives. And then he adds that we're to let it do it richly. To let the word fill us abundantly. And that word tells us we're not just to give it a room or two, a few corners of our life that we're willing to submit and to surrender to it while we hold on to all the rest. No, Christ's word must be allowed to dwell in us richly. Occupying every corner of our mind, filling every room in our hearts unpacking all of its treasures and its riches in us so that they're more and more prominently on display. Does anyone remember the, uh, the old program? I think they did a remake, but I'm sure the original's the best, Through the Keyhole. Remember this? In the older version, it was Lloyd Grossman. And he, he would be out on location taking the viewer into a mystery celebrity home and he'd sort of pick up various items and they'd be exploring what was there examining the different clues that might tell us who lived there. And then back in the studio, there was a panel of celebrities who would be watching and competing to see who could guess the quickest, who it was that lived in this house. And Lloyd Grossman's favorite catchphrase was, of course, and I'm not going to try the accent. He's got such an amazing, unique voice. But he would say, who would live in a home like this? Well, here's the point. The truth of God's word is meant to so richly dwell in us And increasingly transform us that eventually even a panel of of second class celebrities could look through the keyhole and say there's evidence here that the word of Christ lives here. Just look at how it's unpacked and spread out its riches in every room. And yet perhaps we feel we can't even begin to fulfill this command because we, we just feel like we don't know God's word well enough for it to dwell in us richly. But there's an obvious way to change that. Someone once asked George Whitfield, what do you think of Mr. So-and-so's character? And Whitfield answered, I cannot say, for I never lived with him. We get to know people best when we live with them. And it's the same with the Bible. If you'd like God's word to be more than just this long-distant friend or a passing acquaintance, invite it to come in and truly live with you. Begin to engage in conversation with it as often as you would the other people that you live with every day. Read it, listen to it, trust it, obey it, talk about it and talk with it every single day. Because we can be assured the word of Christ is not a private and introverted housemate that likes to keep itself to itself. If we let it into our lives, it will most certainly begin to unpack its riches into our hearts. It is eager that we should know it better and become more wise and Christ-like as a result of it living with us. That is the word's eagerness to do this work in us. Now perhaps, perhaps there you think I'm going just a little bit too far with sort of personifying the word as if it was this living, breathing resident within our souls. Surely it's the Holy Spirit that we should be looking to have fill us and dwell in us richly. Isn't that the case? Well, that's, that's absolutely right. We should be pursuing fullness in the Spirit. But in reality, you can't have one without the other. Word and Spirit are a package deal. And that's something that becomes even clearer when you, um, when you compare... I'm not, I don't think I'd ever done this before before this week really, but when you compare Paul's words here to a very similar section in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, here's what we have. Have we got these on the screen? There we go. So here we are, Colossians on the left. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then in Ephesians 5, we have Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, it's no coincidence that these two verses are so similar. Paul is essentially instructing each of these two churches to do the very same thing. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Word. Both times he says that the result will be they'll be addressing each other in singing and what this tells us is that being filled with the spirit and being filled with the word are actually two sides of the same spiritual coin they produce the same effect word and spirit are inseparable yet sometimes christians do want to try and separate these two they uh, some people might say well i'm more of a word christian and someone else might say well i know i'm more of a spirit christian and we might even divide local churches into one or other of those two categories but it's a false dichotomy. Because to be a Spirit-filled Christian is to be a Word-filled Christian. And to be a Word-filled Christian is to be a Spirit-filled Christian. We can't have the Word dwelling richly in us unless the Spirit is in us and filling us. And to have the Spirit filling and leading us, we must have God's Word dwelling richly in us. To be filled with one is to be richly indwelt by the other. So, so here we go. We mustn't go seeking more of the Spirit without opening the door of our hearts to be filled with his word. And we mustn't go reading and studying the word without doing it in deep dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Instead, what we ought to do is just accept Paul's dual invitation. To be filled with the Spirit by letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And with that, let's none of us settle for just a tiny taste of it and then stop there. Instead, let's have God's Word, the the Word of Christ, the Word of the Spirit, make its proper home in our hearts. And let's make it our aim to be filled and controlled by it more and more each day. To be like newborn infants longing for this pure spiritual milk. The Word dwelling richly, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and then in turn having its way increasingly in every single corner of our lives. That's the first thing that Paul calls us to pursue in this verse this morning. The second thing, the second of the two things he calls us to pursue, is the word dwelling richly in our church as well. So That's our second heading, the word dwelling richly in our church. Now that Paul is concerned for them not just as individuals but as a church is clear I think here in several ways. First in verse 16, he reminds them that they're called together as one body. Then here in verse 17, he speaks of them teaching and admonishing one another and singing with each other. So all that that this is telling us is the word of Christ is not only to make its home in our hearts, but in our church as well. The local church is to be built on the foundation of the word. The local church is to have the word of Christ dwelling in it richly. Which is why we take God's word so seriously here at Grace Church and why we aim to make it central to all that we do together. It's why we give over so much of our Sunday gathering to preaching and teaching, listening to the Bible It's why the sermon isn't just a pep talk or a motivational speech but an exposition of a particular passage or verse in God's Word. It's why our children's ministry going on right now isn't just childcare or just entertainment but it's a precious opportunity every week to teach the children of our church from God's Word in a way that they can appreciate and understand. And we so appreciate those that, that... put so much effort into making that possible because it's not the easiest task to to make it so accessible to children. But these folks that serve out there have such a heart for the children and God has such a heart for the children of our church as well. It's why in our family of churches we have a clear and comprehensive statement of faith laying out for all to see what it is that we firmly believe. It's why here in this church we all, I know we all, Share a passion to build our lives together, not on shifting sands, but on the solid rock of Christ's word. But one more thing this morning's verse so helpfully points out for us and reminds us of is that it's not just the pastor's job or the job of a select few leaders to ensure that this is happening. Now, what's clear here is that we all have a part to play in ensuring that the word of Christ dwells richly in us as a church. And and so here, Paul gives us two important ways to pursue this together. There might be more, but it seems like these are key to our time, especially when we gather together as a church like this. Uh, First, we see it happens through the word dwelling richly in our speech. And then second, we're going to see how it happens with the word dwelling richly in our singing. So first of all, it happens with the word dwelling richly in our speech. The word of Christ is dwelling richly in a church, Paul says, when we are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And this, this actually is quite the task. And it's quite the honour for, for regular Christians like you and me to be called to do this. Because those two words, teach and admonish, are the very same words that Paul used earlier to describe his special ministry as an apostle. So in chapter 1 verse 28, he said, him, Christ, we proclaim, warning, that's, that's the same word as admonishing, warning, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, we looked in much greater detail at what uh, teaching and admonishing meant when we were in those verses back in March, I think it was. So I don't want to retread all of that ground now, but if you're keen, you could revisit that message or if you've got a notebook, check it out in your notes. But in a nutshell, teaching means passing on positive instruction about Jesus to other people. Pointing them again and again to all of those spiritual riches that are found in him. So teaching is like the positive and then admonishing is about helping each other stay on track. and, And when it's necessary, lovingly straightening out each other's thinking when we've gone astray. All that we've seen in the Letters to the Colossians so far is actually a brilliant example of these two things, teaching and admonishing. You can think about all the places where Paul has spoken of the riches that are already ours in Christ. And then the places where he's lovingly warned the Colossians and us about potential distractions or deceits or deceptions that are out there that might lead us astray. But the... The new emphasis here in chapter three is that now we're all called to do what Paul has been doing. It, it reminds me again of those times when my uncle would come and do all of those DIY jobs in our home. And, and I would sort of um, stand there, partly not believing my luck that someone else was going to do it for me. And I'd, I'd stand there marveling at the way he would just so quickly change a plug socket on the wall or, or fix a light fitting. And then he'd turn to me out of the blue with this uh, slightly uh, cheeky smile on his face, and say, right, now you've got to do the next one. And I would be completely taken by surprise. And I'd say, you you, you want me to do it? I, I I can't nearly do it so quickly or efficiently, or I'm thinking even as safely as you did. I'm playing with live wires here. But he would insist, we all start somewhere. And maybe he'd then regale me with how he taught himself to plum at the age of 22 or whatever but he'd say we all start somewhere you need to learn to do this too. Paul is calling the whole church not just the pastors to imitate him by teaching and admonishing one another. He's turning to each of us looking each of us in the eye and saying you need to learn to do this too. Granted, for most of us, not publicly from the front, not writing a letter necessarily, but certainly privately and relationally in our fellowship with one another. Notice too that these really important words, in all wisdom. This verse is not an invitation to simply pass on to other people our thoughts and theories and ideas. All of us could probably pass on all sorts of great a great long list of life advice that we've come up with ourselves or we've picked up from YouTube or we've learned through training in our job. But that's not the kind of knowledge and teaching that will particularly serve and build up our brothers and sisters in the church. No, the call here is to teach and warn each other in all wisdom. That is with God-given wisdom from this God-given book. To pass on the word of Christ that is richly dwelling within us. The church is to be, as someone once put it, a mutual instruction society, a place where we talk about the things of God together, where we pass on to others the helps and the encouragements that we ourselves have found, where we listen well to one another's difficulties and sorrows and then gently direct each other to, to rediscover the truths and the promises of God's word. And it's where, when necessary, we offer humble, loving correction when we see a brother or sister starting to wander into error or go astray into sin. We're all of us called to aspire to this and become, day by day, better equipped to do this. To read and know the Word of Christ better for ourselves, not just for our own benefit, but also so we can speak about it for the benefit of others. And it struck me this week, that's, that's something I don't, always have in my mind as I sit down with my Bible in the morning. I, I, I'm, I'm there to, to get something for myself and that's good and that's a, that's a good healthy desire of a Christian's heart. But it's not always in my mind to be thinking, Lord, give me something for others as well. But that, that's what we're called to do, those two things together. That's one way that as a church we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We pass on, we speak. The word of Christ to one another, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. The other vital way that Paul mentions here that we do this is, is through singing together, of the word dwelling richly in our singing. And there is, oh, there is so much that could be said this morning about the vital role that singing plays in the life of a church and in the life of the believer. Uh, Angie lent me a book this week, uh, it's a brilliant book. It's called Sing by the Gettys, and just reading over it the last few days has made me think we we should explore more of God's word on singing sometime soon, I think. But but I'm going to do my best to stick to what Paul has to say here right now in this passage about this subject of singing. And I think he has three important lessons for us here uh, concerning our singing. The first is this, it really matters that we sing. It really matters that we sing. All through the Bible, God's people are called to be a singing people. Singing is referenced apparently uh, over 500 times throughout the scriptures and at least 50 of those are direct commands to sing. And Colossians 3.16 is one of those direct commands. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, This means that singing and singing together is not some kind of optional add-on to our Christian lives. It's no more optional than reading God's words. I pointed out earlier there was that false dichotomy between word and spirit. And I think sometimes people can make a false dichotomy between word and singing, word and worship. So that one person might come on a Sunday and they say, I really, I just don't get anything out of the singing. I just, I just cross my arms and I think about other things until the sermon starts. That's what I've come for. While another person might say, oh no, the sermon, that's when, I, that's when I have a nap. That's when I settle in for a little rest. But the singing is where I come alive and I get excited. But the reality is you can't cut those two things down the middle and only be about the word or the worship. Because in Paul's mind, these two things are zipped together so tightly. And they should not be separated. Singing, clearly here, is actually one of the primary means by which the Word comes to dwell amongst us as a church. That's clear. This very command to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom is to be fulfilled, Paul says, at least in part, by our singing Bible-rich songs together. Singing is one way that the Word dwells in us richly. But added to that, singing is also the natural response to hearing the preached word and have it dwell richly in us. Because when our hearts are so full of God's word, they just can't help but spill over into singing. As Someone once wisely said, the surest sign that you're carrying a full bucket is wet feet. That's golden, isn't it? You can take that home. The surest sign that you're carrying a full bucket is wet feet. But reflecting on that picture, Kent Hughes writes this. He says, That is true to our experience, is it not? Whenever we attempt to carry a full bucket to clean the floor or wash the car, we always get wet feet. And when our lives are full, they will overflow. When the buckets of our lives are full to the brim with God's word, we cannot move without spilling forth in song. It really matters then that we sing together. It both fills our hearts with the word, and it's the natural overflow of a heart already richly filled with the word. It really matters that we sing. Secondly, it really matters what we sing. Uh, Now, I must confess, I have a habit of singing little ditties, little tunes around the home about all sorts of trivial things. And I hope I've never done this in your presence I keep it confined to the home. But I find myself, and I'm sure it's much to the annoyance of, of Lizzie and the kids, absentmindedly just stealing tunes from uh, hymns or old chart hits or TV adverts and changing the words to sing about all sorts of other things. Like, am I the only person that does this? <laughs> I hope not. Don't nod. <laughs> I don't think often I'm aware that I'm doing this. And I'm, I don't think often I'm aware what I'm singing about. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that apart from maybe copyright and maybe annoying people I live with, but when we come together to sing as a church, it really does matter what words we sing. If singing is one of the key ways that we are able to teach and admonish one another, it's no good us singing songs with unbiblical or even questionable lyrics because that will work against us having the word dwell in us richly when we're together. It'll also work against it dwelling in us when we get home after church on a Sunday. Because because while the reading and preaching of God's Word on a Sunday really is the, the high point of the ministry of the Word on a Sunday morning, just think about what you're more likely to remember and recite on your way home. It's the songs. Songs are always more memorable than sermons, aren't they? They, they get under our skin. They make the truth stick in our minds. They, they have this, their own special bus lane, a highway, a, a, a fast track into our hearts. And God made music and singing to be that way. It's a gift from God that music and song can do that. But it means that what we sing when we gather is just as important as what we preach What we sing is fundamental to what we will take away from our time together, what we will believe and remember and live on in our lives. And so we do all that we can here as a church to ensure that all of our songs are biblically faithful. That the word of Christ might dwell in us ever more richly every time we come together to sing. Now, someone might think sometimes we're just a little bit too strict on what we will and won't sing together, but, but this here's the reason why. We believe that in essence, we shouldn't sing anything in our Sunday service that we wouldn't also get up and essentially preach from the lectern and call faithful to God's words. And we're very grateful to those many members of the music group, um, uh, Tim and Angie, especially, who were involved in choosing songs with us from week to week. And uh, we're, fa- we're so grateful for their faithfulness and their discernment in what they suggest and choose. We shouldn't underestimate as a church the effect that their song choices have had on us over the years in enabling the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. It really matters that we sing, it really matters what we sing. Finally, this morning, it really matters how we sing. It really matters how we sing. Uh, Who here thinks they have a below-average singing voice? Wow, there's not a lot of humility going on in here this morning. (laughs) I thought I was going to go the other way. Well, the good news, especially for the humble amongst us, is that the quality of our voice has no bearing at all on how well we honor and glorify the Lord when we sing. Those whom the Lord has gifted with better singing voices are certainly a a gift to the rest of us as they lead the way and carry the tune. But God's concern here at the end of verse 16 and all throughout the Bible is fundamentally about our hearts. What matters to God when we sing is not how we sound but whether there is genuine thankfulness in our hearts. And so Paul writes, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. To God, Three times, in fact, Paul mentions thankfulness in verses 15 to 17. And three times already before this, he's mentioned thankfulness as well. I remember that an older friend of Lizzie and mine in a former church that we went to many years ago, he, um, he didn't, to put it politely, have the best voice. In fact, I don't think he was ever in tune and I'm pretty sure he knew it as well, but it didn't stop him from singing loudly and joyfully with thankfulness in his heart to God. And, and honestly, seeing him singing so energetically in spite of his um, ability to sing in tune always spurred me on to sing with greater joy and thankfulness as well. Thankfulness is the true tuning fork for our souls It is the true tuning fork for our souls. The question is not, are our voices in tune with the notes, but are our hearts in tune with the gospel of God's glory and grace? I thought these words were helpful from Keith and Kristen Getty. The The truth is that God designed you to sing and gave you everything you need to sing as well as he wants you to. Singing gives voice to a heart that deeply knows the gospel of grace. It is the overflow of a heart captivated by the gospel. From that place, there is a genuine and rich overflow of praise. This should reassure us. No matter how you are feeling, nor how good or bad a week you've had, you can lift your eyes to Jesus with relief, for he has washed you clean. And so you can sing wherever your life is at and whatever you are facing. In every different season of our lives, the the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His riches towards us in Christ are forever the same. And so we really can say situation, but especially when we come together like this, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Well, we're going to do just that now. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Let me just pray very briefly and then let's do this very thing. Let's sing with thankfulness to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We simply pray now that what we have heard would dwell in us richly, both individually and as a church together. Father, please fill us with your spirit and your word as we come again now into your presence with thanksgiving. Help us, Lord, to make a joyful noise to you with songs of praise. Amen.